Okay, here we go. This is Wilderness and Wildlife, presented by the Gallatin Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. This is a half-hour program featuring commentaries and interviews with wildlife and wilderness advocates relating to the unique natural environment that we enjoy in the wildlands of the West and across America. I'm your host, Jay Shell. Our guest today is Jeffrey Hunter, a senior program manager with National Parks and Conservation Association in Asheville, North Carolina, where he works on issues related to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, the Blue Ridge Parkway, and the Appalachian Nature National Scenic Trail. Jeff spent 20 years in the telecommunications industry when a through-hike of the Appalachian Trail inspired him to realign his career with his conservation values. From 2008 to 2013, Jeff led the Tennessee Wild Wilderness Campaign, focused on permanently protecting nearly 20,000 acres in the Cherokee National Forest, including four and a half miles of the Appalachian Trail. The Tennessee Wilderness Act, signed into law in December of 2018, saw that project through to completion. And then prior to joining NPCA in 2015, Jeffrey worked in California on a grouse habitat restoration in a high desert environment overseen by the Bureau of Land Management. Jeff holds a BA in Environmental Studies from the State University of New York, Empire State College, and is currently pursuing a master's degree in Sustainable Natural Resource Management. He spends most of his time coordinating a collaborative project focused on improving wildlife's ability to safely cross Interstate 40 in the Pigeon River Gorge in Great Smoky Mountains, just outside of the Smokies. So, Jeff, welcome. Uh, it's great to be talking to you today. You work for the NPCA, so what's the mission of the organization? Thanks, Jay. It's great to be here today. Uh, NPCA has been around since 1919, and our mission is to advocate to enhance and protect America's national parks for present and future generations. And, and that takes place in a number of different ways around the country. We have 28 offices. And here on the southeast, we're, we're working on issues from the coastline to the mountains, and I have colleagues all over the country doing, doing inspiring work. Uh -huh. so it's a great organization to work for. So uh, uh, most of your work is in, in the National Park, or is it uh, further north along the Appalachians? So, so right now, my work uh, predominantly is in the most visited national park in the country, and that would be Great Smoky Mountains right. National Park. Uh, for the listeners who aren't familiar, this is about 523,000 acres. Um, it's not federally designated wilderness, but it's managed as wilderness, uh, and the acreage is split between the states of North Carolina and Tennessee. So I gather... Uh uh, what are the what are the special characteristics of the Great Smoky Mountains? What sure. tracks the people um, well, there? Well, first of all, it's it's got uh, you know the charismatic megafauna that people want to see, like black bear, uh, elk, um, uh, and other species. Uh, lots of wildlife. Uh, elk, interestingly, had been extirpated from that landscape. Uh, for almost 200 years, and they were restored in 2001, 2002, and they draw, you know, a lot of attention. Of course, it's a, an important breeding area for uh, migratory songbirds, um, 
And there's about 120,000 acres of old-growth forest in the Smokies, and that's really rare in the eastern United States. Um, so it's, it's a beautiful place with opportunities to recreate and see wildlife and, and of course, offers great habitat for uh, all kinds of critters. What are the most uh, visible birds that, that you see? Uh, I assume it's a flyway, so it probably has hawks. Sure. So, you know, our raptors migrate down the Appalachian chain um, uh, in the fall, and they return in a little more dispersed way in the spring, but um, probably one of the most ubiquitous birds we have in the park beyond the Carolina wren and the, and the northern cardinal would be uh, the wild turkey, uh, whose populations have really, really grown. Um, and uh, t- tremendous numbers of warblers and vireos and all sorts of songbirds that right now are in the tropics and will soon be making their way north. Are there some endangered species that you're particularly focused on? I- I'm not, myself, I'm not focused on threatened or endangered species in my work. Uh, there are um, teeny species in the park. Uh-huh. Um, it's not really my area of subject matter expertise, but... Um, you know, whenever you have a park of that size that's undeveloped, uh, it creates a real great location for all kinds of critters. Do you have an invasive plant problem in the park? Very much so. Uh, interestingly, uh, some years ago in my first uh, position after leaving the corporate world, I led some students on an alternative spring break project, and we were um, we were removing uh, multiflora rose, which is a very nasty, uh, non-native species. Mm-hmm. I think we might have addressed some privet, English privet. Um, but one of the most uh, damaging invasive species we have is the woolly adelgid, which has killed many of the uh, eastern hemlock trees in the park. And, and some of these trees were gigantic old growth. And this mm-hmm. little aphid... Um, has really wiped them out. So that's a battle the Park Service is still going on with. And then, of course, there are um, wild hogs. Mm-hmm. In fact, just the other day, there was a video that came out of a black bear um, preying upon a wild hog. <laughs> the video. Ah. So I, I assume the wild hogs are, uh, are not particularly wanted. Is that right? Not wanted at all. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they... They actually escaped a game farm south of the park, uh, uh, Depression era. You know, uh, there was a hunting farm, and um, the folks couldn't afford to maintain their fences during the uh, Depression. The animals uh, escaped, and uh, they they eat everything. Uh, you know, snakes, bird eggs, whatever yeah. they can find, salamanders, their problem. So what kind of trees dominate in the park if the hemlocks are under siege? Sure, uh, lots of oaks and hickories, but, um, you know, let me just emphasize the Smokies is the most, uh, one of the most biologically rich places in the temperate world. Mm. Uh, the diversity of the flora and the fauna there is mm. simply incredible. So, um, you know, one of my favorite trees in the park, I wish it was a little more dominant, but it's not, is the Carolina silver bell, which will be blooming in a couple months. You'll be able to see the white flowers and it's, uh, you find it in a very narrow range in the Appalachian region, and um, it's one of the really beautiful trees you find there. But there's lots of uh, champion-sized trees in that park because of the extent of the old growth. Uh-huh. Are there any jaguars that come up from Florida? 
Um, no, we haven't we haven't seen any uh, any big cats there. Although there are lots of bobcats that we're finding some of the research we're conducting around the park. Uh, hopefully, um, you know we have a lot of wildlife vehicle collisions with white-tailed deer, and maybe someday mountain lions will find themselves back to the park and, and get things in balance for us. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what are the park's major problems that it's confronting? I'm sorry, could you repeat that? What, what, what kind of uh, problems is the park confronting? Um, the, the park has a problem with managing uh, visitation. Uh, you know, when you have 12 million visitors in an area um, where the bear population is increasing and development is increasing all around the park, it's a, it's a recipe for problems. Uh, one of the things that I do for... NPCA is I facilitate the work of the Smoky Mountains Bearwise Community Task Force, uh, where we're trying to come up with community-based solutions to address conflict with black bears, usually around the issue of trash, garbage. Ah, uh-huh. so uh, I-40 runs along the northern uh, border of the park, uh, and I think you uh, you you're focused on dealing with crossing problems. On I-40? We are. Um, So for a couple of decades, it's been known that Interstate 40, which opened in 1968, um, has been a cause of mortality for for black bears. For the listener, this roadway, which is, um, it goes from Wilmington, North Carolina to Barstow, California. Um, It doesn't actually cut through the park, but it cuts through the Pisgah National Forest in North Carolina and the Cherokee National Forest in Tennessee, just outside the boundaries of the park, and it's ideal black bear habitat. Um, we have a small growing elk herd, and um, you know when the acorn crop fails, when we get these mass failures, which happen periodically, uh, the bears leave the park in big numbers, and you could see tremendous mortality on Interstate 40. You know we do see mortality in good acorn crop years, but uh, it's particularly bad during those acorn failures. So we're, we're, we're trying to address it collaboratively. So your project is uh, uh, dealing with the crossings up at Pigeon Gorge, is that right? Sure, the, the Pigeon River flows uh, out of North Carolina into Tennessee where it makes its way into the, uh, the Tennessee River. This is a Gulf of Mexico drainage. Uh-huh. And, and so it's a rugged landscape uh, and so we've been looking at a 28-mile stretch of that roadway, 20 miles in North Carolina and 8 miles in Tennessee, uh, to see if we can come up with some solutions uh, to, to the problems at hand. It's, uh, we're working in partnership with uh, Wildlands Network. They're our, they're our close partners. And we're also working very closely with the North Carolina Wildlife Federation um, and other partners, the Conservation Fund, Defenders of Wildlife, and Great Smoky Mountains Association, among others. Um, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation has been involved in this project as well. Mm. So uh, are, you, are you considering or looking forward to uh, uh, an overcrossing or uh, some undercrossings? What, what's, what's in the offing? Sure. We began uh, two years of research starting in January of 2019, and we just concluded that research in uh, January of 2021. And 
that involved an array of about 120 wildlife cameras. A um, little bit about our research objectives. Uh, our objectives were to uh, measure wildlife use in the right-of-way adjacent to the highway. Uh, we also wanted to uh, measure the use of existing structures under the highway, whether those are concrete box culverts or metal culverts that also move water. And then lastly, we wanted to identify the extent of the mortality that we're finding in this corridor. Uh, so uh, are you making progress? How, what's, what's coming up? Absolutely. So what's really interesting about this project, you know, it's interstate. We have the Tennessee Department of Transportation, the North Carolina Department of Transportation, uh, you know, representatives from wildlife agencies from the two states, mm -hmm. lots of NGOs, um, you know, all, all sorts of folks coming together. Uh, the next steps are we have this incredible data set from two years of research, um, you know, several tens of thousands of, of wildlife images. Um, and in addition, Wildlands Network, our partners, they're leading an elk collaring project where 12 elk were collared with the assistance of the National Park Service and, excuse me, the North Carolina Wildlife Resource Commission. And several of those elk approach the road, and that's been very helpful. Uh, so that data is being looked at by um, Dr. Liz Hillard with Wildlands Network. Now, in the third quarter of this year, we're hoping to have some recommendations for the two agencies, the two DOTs, for where they can potentially do some mitigation. Um, we'll see if that involves overpasses. Uh, very well might, um, but I don't want to get ahead of the science. This is a, a science-focused project, and we're going to follow the science. Mm -hmm. Well, Virginia, I know I understand Virginia has been very aggressive in road crossings, over crossings. Uh, so probably take a lead from them. Uh, Virginia's doing some great work. You know, interestingly enough, one of the folks who's involved in Virginia, Dr. Mike Pelton, is a retired bear researcher who was associated with the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. And he did a lot of research in the corridor where we're working. Uh, so we're leaning on some of that research, uh, and and Mike has retired and moved to Virginia, and he's involved in trying to reduce uh, black bear mortality and, and, and the mortality of other critters on the, the busy roads in Virginia. Do you have a, do you have a crossing problem on US-441 or on SR-28? So 441, um, we do have some problems there. In fact, there's a, there's a stretch of road between Pigeon Forge, North Carolina, and Gatlinburg. It's called the Spur. Yeah. And that, the jurisdiction for that several-mile section of road belongs to the National Park Service. And what we find is that black bears are leaving the park, following a ridge which has a lot of development, and then they're crossing the spur to get to garbage on the other side. And it's one of the, uh, one of the largest hotspots for mortality um, in the park. Mm. So we are we are looking at some solutions there. We don't uh, have any answers yet, but the Park Service, I believe, is going to soon be undertaking some planning around around that problem, and hopefully we can get our arms around it. So uh, should the boundary of Great Smoky Mountains be extended? Is it uh, is it where it should be, or should it be extended further? That's a, that's an interesting question, Jay. You know, 
I think our approach, we're working very closely with land trusts as part of our collaborative, mm-hmm. the, the safe, what we call the Safe Passage, uh, I-40 Pigeon River Gorge Wildlife Crossing Project. And uh, our land trust partners have acquired two parcels in the last couple of years. Uh, one is 147 acres on the park boundary, mm-hmm. and the other was about 187 acres um, that it is adjacent to national forest land in North Carolina and has a mile of frontage on Interstate 40. So our approach is that there's, if there are willing sellers who want to uh, sell lands adjacent to the park and it can be acquired, uh, sometimes the park will take the land, other times land trusts will hold on to it. So, uh, But it can be a thorny issue for a number of reasons, not, not take, the least of which is if the tax base. If they take additional land, uh, does that extend the park boundary or is it just appended to the park, park edge? You know, I'll be honest with you. I, that's that's a question that I've not been faced before, and okay. since I'm not, you know, I'm not a land manager. I'm more of yeah. a facilitator. I, I'm not sure of the answer to your question. I, I I assume that if the land is donated to the park and it's right on the boundary, they would extend the boundary of the park. But um, yeah, I wish I could give you a more definitive answer there. Uh, so you do some specialized research, don't you? Uh, I heard about skunks. Yeah, so, um, he, you know, our target species in our research, um, you know, we see a lot of deer, bear, elk. But we also see a lot of non, non-target species, and, and some of these are um, categorized as species of special concern. So when it comes to skunks, you know, the striped skunk is very common here, mm-hmm. um, and we we've, have photographed them a lot with our cameras. Uh, but the North Carolina Wildlife Resource Commission is trying to understand uh, what the spotted skunk, the eastern spotted skunk population is looking like. Uh, this is a species that um, we don't know a whole lot about. Uh, so we are deploying uh, some cameras under a Park Service permit uh, in two locations. Um, my colleague, Steve Goodman, is our Volchnow uh, wildlife research biologist, and he, he's conducting research in partnership with Dr. Liz Hillard in our corridor, but but Steve and I have been deploying these cameras, and it gives us an opportunity to get out of the park and um, have some meetings, which, frankly, over the last year has been very difficult to do because of the COVID situation. Um, another uh, another non-target species that Steve is, is doing some research for, uh, the Wildlife Agency, is uh, the long-tailed weasel, oh. which is a predator, a small predator, uh, we photographed them quite a bit, uh, maybe about a dozen individuals uh, in our 28-mile project, and some special camera trap boxes were devised uh, that we put out, and, and Steve is monitoring those. So uh, what, uh, what do, do you have some findings uh, on some of the projects you've uh, undertaken? Sure. Preliminarily, uh, a couple things. First of all, the 28-mile corridor, it's a multi-jurisdictional landscape. There's private land, uh, there's state land, and there's federally managed public lands. I mentioned those national forests earlier. And what really jumped off the page when we started looking at uh, mortality issues is that it is clearly associated with the public lands. The public lands are the undeveloped lands, and that's where the wildlife is. And so uh, in doing our uh, our mortality studies, 
um, we're seeing those heat, we created some heat maps where we can actually see where the problem is. It's very closely aligned with those, with those public lands. Uh, another interesting finding is that um, my colleague Steve compiled mortality data from a number of different agencies. It was siloed. So the Tennessee Department of Transportation had some, the Tennessee Wildlife Resource Agency had some, North Carolina, the DOT had some of the information, the Wildlife Resource Commission had some. So Steve pulled all that together. And what we're seeing over the last two years since we've intensified our driving surveys is that we're recording nearly six times the historical mortality that we've seen in this gorge. Wow. Which, which shows that it's the numbers that we have right now are um, not representative of the extent of the problem. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, mortality is really important. It's important to identify where you're going to do something on the landscape. You want to know where where things are are not successfully crossing. That's not the full picture because there may be another area where they they are currently successfully crossing, but that that may not last with increased traffic volumes. Um, so, I gotta, you're, also, yeah. you're also working on a wildlife connectivity project in and near the Great Smokies. So this is this is what we're talking about here, Jay. This okay. is this is a multi-pronged project. So we're trying to improve wildlife's ability to safely cross this busy interstate, uh, make that make that roadway more permeable for wildlife which will result in a safer experience uh, for motorists. So, uh, you know, it is a conservation issue for wildlife. It is a uh, safety issue for humans. Um, but this fragmentation in a warming world is, uh, is a real challenge for wildlife. So uh, you have a support group called Safe Passages. Uh, how did that get started? Sure. Um, it's a, it's an interesting story. You know, we the, the collaborative group first met uh, just over four years ago in February of 2017, uh, all these different agency folks coming together, you know, and our first discussion was, is, is this an issue that we should pay attention to? So we agreed to, to look at it, and we continued to meet uh, throughout 2017 periodically. Uh, in 2018, uh, the Federal Highways Administration came down and uh, held a wildlife crossing workshop for us and uh, a lot of energy came out of that as did the idea for research. Um, so, so here we are um, now in, what is it, March of 2021 mm-hmm. and uh, we've got all this data and, and, and hopefully we're going to be able to come up with some solutions working collaboratively uh, with our partners uh, following this science. Do you need some legislative activity to support what you're doing? Yes, that's for, that's a very important part to the puzzle. So um, I truncated that story. Um, while we were doing our two-year research, the, the North Carolina Department of Transportation decided they were going to replace five bridges in our project area, mm-hmm. including one at a place called Harmon Den. And this is an area where elk first crossed from the park side of the highway to the other side of the highway, and now we have a herd growing on both sides of the roadway. So you can imagine this is a safety issue for motorists. An elk can run 1,000 pounds. So we asked the agency to to put in some wildlife uh, passage considerations at Harmon Den, but there are no state or federal funds to do this. So uh, 
six NGOs came together, discussed the issue, and decided to come up with a safe passage fund mm-hmm. uh, that's administered by our partners at the Wild Dance Project. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a website um, I'd be happy to give you. Uh, visitors, your, your listeners can go and, and, and learn more about this project there. It's Smokies, S-M-O-K-I-E-S, Safe Passage. Dot O-R-G. Again, smokiessafepassage.org, and there's lots of good information on there. Okay. And uh, so uh, our listeners can find a way to provide support uh, with that website. You've, uh, you've hiked the Appalachian Trail, I gather, 2,200 miles, the whole thing? Yeah, um, I think when I hiked it, in, in 2000, it was 2,167 miles, and, you know, the trail regularly grows in length as the Appalachian Trail Conservancy and its conservation partners acquire lands, and the trail is sometimes moved onto a more protected corridor. So it's approaching 2,200 miles now. It's grown, you know, over 30 miles since I hiked it, and, and that was a real catalyst for me to, to leave a corporate career uh, to do this kind of work. The trail go through the park? It does for about 75 miles. Um, you know, it runs the ridges, which is the state line between uh, North Carolina and Tennessee. So you don't get to see the amazing cove forests at lower elevations, which, you know, have lots of wildlife and amazing uh, wildflowers and, and big trees. Uh, not that the ridges are all bad, but if you want to, if you want to, uh, understand the full extent of the park and its various systems, I would recommend people not only hike the AT, but get down in some of the lower elevation forests. Can you take your dog with you? Uh, interestingly, no dogs are permitted in the backcountry in the park. Um, oh, really? You know, one thing is the, the Park Service has learned that a lot of um, times when a bear will attack a human, yeah. there's a dog associated with the problem. Oh. Uh, oh. You know, dogs put off a, you know, they, they, they bears often will respond territorially if there's a dog, uh, and if there's a human attached to the other end of a leash, that's a, a recipe uh, for a problem. In addition, um, the dogs can carry parvovirus, which can be transmitted to to wildlife in the park. Uh huh. But you can take a dog in other sections of the Appalachian Trail. Is that right? You can. Uh, I, I don't believe they're allowed. Uh, in Baxter State Park at the northern terminus, uh, at least not, I don't believe you can climb Mount Katahdin with them. And I wouldn't recommend anyone climb Mount Katahdin with a dog anyway. It's yeah. way too steep. Okay, uh, and your portfolio also includes the Blue Ridge Parkway uh, running from Georgia to Virginia. Uh, is that a major part of your involvement? Um, I, I have some involvement with issues on the Blue Ridge Parkway. Uh, for the listener that, that is unfamiliar with that 469-mile scenic motorway, uh-huh. uh, top speed limit is 45 miles. It connects Shenandoah National Park in Virginia with Great Smoky Mountains National Park in North Carolina. And uh, we do have an issue with wildlife vehicle collisions with elk uh, right where uh, the park uh, and the Blue Ridge Parkway converge at a place called Soco Gap. Uh-huh. Uh, so we're looking to do some research, uh, perhaps this year with the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. They have been disproportionately impacted by wildlife vehicle collisions with elk, um, their uh, tribal members. Uh-huh. 
right. uh, so they're not they've been involved in this project on i forty but that's not really uh, that doesn't affect that community as much it's it's, okay. it's u s nineteen between a place called Maggie Valley and Cherokee where we're seeing lots of problems so we're going to be turning our attention to there and and looking for some some data and perhaps some solutions as well. Well, Jeff, we've exhausted our time, so, but I really appreciate your, your telling us about uh, Great Smoky Mountains. Our guest today has been Jeffrey Hunter, a senior program manager with the National Parks and Conservation Association in Asheville, North Carolina. This has been Wilderness and Wildlife, a presentation of the Gallon Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. To hear more of these half-hour interviews, go online to jswilderness5.net and see additional features of our website. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Jay Shell. Jeffrey, thanks very much. I was surprised to hear about the elk because I grew up in New Jersey, and uh, I didn't know there were any elk east of east of uh, the Rockies. So that was yeah. Um, historically, you know, they they're all throughout these mountains. Uh, the the Native American name for them, uh, at least amongst the Cherokee, is White Piti, W-A-I-P-I-T-I. And right. there's a Wapiti shelter in Virginia on the Appalachian Trail. Uh. And, um, and uh, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation is working with various agencies to restore these animals 